Telephone brings nearness to any home site. The dwelling... The Outline World Dispatch. It's Monday, November 20th, 2017. I'm Adrian Jeffries. Today on our show, John Christian on the comeback of Spam. And Anne Derek Gaillot on the Lord of the Rings movie that time forgot. Here's the dispatch. The future. For a while, the phenomenon of spam seemed to be fading away. Spam email has fallen to an all-time low, according to semantic research. So why do we feel like we're still being inundated with scams and ads? Unfortunately, spam is not dead. It's just taken on new forms. The text message, the Tinderbot, the robocall. It's all gotten so bad that writer John Christian found a notorious spammer who got so many robocalls that he had to change his own phone number. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. What's different about this new generation of spam? Um, I think you're exactly right. For a while, you know, our inboxes and our DMs seemed clean because the filters were fantastic and authorities were enforcing anti-spam laws. Um, but you're right. It's back. And according to the experts we talked to, the worrisome thing about this second coming of spam is that um, while spam used to be largely commercial, now since the spammers know that they're already breaking laws by spamming you in the first place, they're often just trying to steal your credit card information. What kinds of spam are people getting these days? I think spam is back as bots on Twitter. It's back as apps that mass message your contacts. It's back as bulk text messages. And maybe most obnoxiously, it's back as these robocalls that are trying to give away non-existent cruises and collect imaginary IRS bills. Let's talk about the robocalls. I feel like anecdotally, everyone has this experience. I'm getting... I just got one right before we we started this interview. I think I get probably three to five a day. What are some numbers for this? Is it just my imagination or is the robocall thing kind of crazy? Um, I think you're right. FCC complaints have spiked in recent years and the FTC received some 1.9 million complaints in 2017. Um, Umail, which creates software to fight robocalls, estimates that there were 29 billion robocalls in the United States alone in 2016. So yeah, I think you're right. And it seems to be driven by um, by VoIP software that just makes it um, uh, vanishingly inexpensive to place lots and lots of spam phone calls. Let's talk a bit about the people fighting back against spam. Did you get the sense that they're having much success? The FTC has been increasingly successful in um, in bringing cases against um, against robocallers in particular often extracting large fines from them. There's also some very creative solutions. There's a guy, a telephonics consultant named Roger Anderson on the West Coast, who's created this posse of um, of chatbots, basically. Hello? Hello? Good afternoon, hello? Yes. Hello, Mr. Yes? Hey, good afternoon, sir. My name is William. I'm here with your design. The idea is you connect them to a call when you get a robocall, and then it sort of acts like a person. It knows when to fill in an awkward silence by saying, yeah, um, or could you explain that to me again? Okay, so you know when I said I was listening to you during the B thing? Uh, actually, I, I was just concentrating on the B. I'm sorry. So can you start over? What were you saying during the B? 
Okay, right. you'll have four destinations. I'm throwing in a bonus cruise for you. Yeah. So you have three destinations plus the bonus cruise. And in certain cases, these bots can keep the scammers on the line for an extraordinary period of time, and he posts the recordings on YouTube, and they can be very, very entertaining. Hello, sir. My name is Lerma, senior manager, uh, supervisor here. Travel, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, mm -hmm. How did my agent explain everything to you, sir? Right. Well, how did he explain everything to you today? Mm-hmm. What does that mean, sir? Hello. Yes, I'm here. What does that mean? Yes. Well, you know what, sir? I'm actually going to keep the money, and I'm going to give it to somebody else because I don't like when people play around with my agents on the phone. You don't qualify for this with that kind of attitude. You have a horrible sure. So you talked to someone who is from the old school first-generation spam paradigm. What did he have to say? Well, you're right. Bill Wagoner is this old-school email marketer. Where are you, John, on everything? Because I tell you what, brother, um, the industry, the industry, uh, it has changed. And um, it's tremendously. I mean, big time. He hates the word and, spammer, uh, and he pushes back against it when you use it. One thing about me is, I've never, regardless of being called all these names, um, I've never been a illegal spammer. But he did build a career sending bulk commercial emails, and PC World Magazine once described him as the Viceroy of a Viagra. So he's a colorful guy. These other guys that are out there, they're doing what they're doing because it's their last hurrah. Um, with robo-dialing especially. He volunteered this amazing fact that he was recently forced to change his personal phone number because he was getting too many robocalls. I got called, man, I'm like, I had to change my cell phone number, man, the other day. Because, I mean, I was getting so many robocalls and I'm hitting do not call, do not call, do not call, do not call. And they still call every single day. So there needs to be a very, very line drawn in the sand where um, what's appropriate, what's ethical, and what isn't. I should say, the thing I like about a guy like Bill Wagner is you might not agree with what he does, but he will talk to you about it. He's always confronted his critics, and from what I could tell, that's not true of spammers today who, wherever possible, hide behind fake names and spoofed phone numbers. How are spammers getting a hold of our contact information? How do they have my email address? How do they have my phone number? Um, in the case of robocalls, they'll just guess. Um, and if someone picks up and is amenable to the call, they flag it as a as a, a good potential target, and then they'll they'll never leave you alone. That's why when you start to get robocalls, they'll they'll often just continue relentlessly forever because it's so inexpensive for them to just keep trying every day. So, do we have any hope of going back to that peaceful era when it seemed like spam had died down? Um, some people are certainly hopeful. The general sense I got was that experts are optimistic um, so far as as apps and email go. Robocalls are trickier, and uh, because the telephone system was designed for for a simpler time, it could be though that to to clean up the the plain old telephone system, it'll be necessary to to augment it in some way to make it a sort of a, um, make contact some sort of of opt in system. John Christian is a writer based in Massachusetts. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me.
culture. Thanks to the success of the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit film franchises, Peter Jackson and New Line Cinema have a chokehold on interpretations of the beloved J.R.R. Tolkien books. This is the One Ring, forged by the Dark Lord Sauron. Sauron needs only this ring to cover all the lands of a second darkness. Last Monday, that grip grew even tighter with news that Amazon acquired rights to the series in a nearly $250 million TV series deal. But before the success of the Jackson films, there was a range of filmmakers, animators, and radio show producers reimagining the beloved books. To me, the best was director Ralph Bakshi's rotoscoped and sometimes ridiculed The Lord of the Rings, which hit theaters in 1978. The one ring to rule them all. It remains a love it or hate it cult classic today. But there are two other film adaptations. The Hobbit and The Return of the King were both directed by Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. for family-friendly TV releases in 1977 and 1980, respectively. Mm, nice souvenir to show the neighbors back home, if I ever get home. They've gotten much less attention as predecessors to Jackson's films. Partially, that's because the tone and conception of these movies feel very far from the books. But more than anything, it's because they are just so numbingly bland. Tip the glasses, crank the plates. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. The Rankin production team is best known for their feel-good TV Christmas specials, like the classic stop-motion versions of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, The Little Drummer Boy, and The Year Without a Santa Claus. <laughs> Could it be that some of you are not acquainted with the story of Rudolph? But in 1977, they took on The Hobbit in a traditionally animated, made-for-TV movie. We hobbits are plain, quiet folk. Adventures make one late for dinner. For the sequel, The Return of the King, they inexplicably created a framing device that would tie back to the first film. They had to do this to fill in the narrative gaps left by the fact that they, for some reason, skipped the first two books in the Lord of the Rings series. Listen as we speak of the fall of a Lord of Darkness and the return of a king of light. The movie begins after the Fellowship has already destroyed the ring and returned home to visit 129-year-old Hobbit protagonist Bilbo Baggins. When Bilbo notices Frodo is missing the ring, as well as his ring finger, the story of that third book has to be recounted to him via a flashback, introduced by a character called the, the Minstrel, Minstrel of Gondor, Gondor, who was created specifically for this movie. Frodo of the Nine Fingers and the Ring of Doom. It started with a hobbit in Gollum's cave of gloom. Played by folk singer Glenn Yarbrough, the minstrel songs throughout lend a cheesy, dated tone to the supposedly dramatic events of the movie. Less can be more, and small can be beautiful. I don't want it all. Just part of wonderful for the minstrel and Gandalf the wizard, a major character in the books, alternate narrating the events. The story within a story then begins with a hobbit named Samwise Gamgee. He's carrying the one ring to rule them all and is looking for his best friend Frodo, who is lost on Mount Doom. But I do it for he who lies in that accursed tower, Sirithungal. My sweet master Frodo. The stakes here feel small. 
Yes, there's trouble in Middle-earth, and yes, the hobbits and their fellow good guys have to undertake an epic journey to save the world as they know it from the ravages of pure evil. But from the hokey soundtrack to the flat characters, there's drama lost in The Return of the King. Where there's a whip, there's a way. Where there's a whip, we don't want to go to war today. But the Lord of the Lashes has Of the few pre-Jackson Lord of the Rings adaptations out there, these versions are undoubtedly the most disappointing. Roads go ever, ever on. The critic Joseph McClellan wrote about the TV movie in the Washington Post. Quote, This two-hour travesty of the work of J.R.R. Tolkien is not much better than the dim-witted, barely animated ducks, mice, pigs, and assorted fauna that are inflicted on kids Saturday mornings while their parents try to grab an extra hour of sleep. Roads I traveled, I must Meanwhile, a Los Angeles Times reader wrote to the paper's viewers' views section, quote, I have just finished vomiting over the return of the king on ABC. I only feel sorry for those who are subjected to this unfortunate display before they had a chance to read the book. It has been all but ruined for them. As the road comes to an end, Still, both the movies are inherently interesting to watch from the present. They were released before the days of endless sequels and infinitely expanding franchises, so they don't even attempt to feed us information for use in future movies. You can simply sit down and press play. The end of the ring, the return of the king. The details of the upcoming Amazon show are still a mystery. Considering how much money the company spent on the rights alone and the success of Jackson and New Line's adaptations, One of the biggest surprises the Amazon series could throw viewers' way would be a complete departure from the style of the Jackson adaptations. With so much money and Amazon's reputation as a streaming service on the line, I'd say it's unlikely. But anyone with a spare afternoon might want to revisit one of the only, and potentially the last, alternatives. That's all for today's show. You can catch it here every Monday through Thursday, anywhere you get podcasts, or on your Alexa or Google Assistant devices. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Adrian Jeffries, and we'll be back with more tomorrow. Tomorrow.